Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about all things dating, romance, psychology, and sex related. I'm Neil, the comedian. I'm joined with Eliza. How are you going? Hot. How are you? <laughs> I'm hot too. Uh, are you speaking about the weather? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is quite hot. Uh, summer is definitely approaching. Thank God. Ready to get this end of the year out and done with. Yeah. What do you think things will actually improve in 2021 though? New year, new me. Nah, I don't yeah, know. What, do you have any New Year's resolutions? I don't believe in making them because I feel like it's bad luck. So no. Do you think there's something to be said about putting pressure on yourself and the psychology of that as opposed to just going with the flow and maybe trying a new habit and then just seeing how long you can stick with it without the added pressure and that's actually more no i mean statistically you're more likely to complete a goal if you verbalize it or write it down so okay. i think in that way new resolutions are good but you know everyone falls into one of three categories you're either good at or difficult have um difficulty with starting something maintaining something and finishing something so for me it's always i'll start like 50 projects but maintaining it is not my forte right. what about you what do you think your struggle is Ooh, i need the motivation and, and almost a sort of grounding philosophy to stick to something but if i believe in a cause or if mm. i believe in a project or a habit or whatever it may be i have tunnel vision yeah in that uh, area of my life. I think my uh, personality, uh, uh, you, you know how they do those psychology tests and mm. I'm an INFJ, I think, or IN... Are you introverted? IN something, something, <laughs> IN something J, and it's the uh, the diplomat oh. or the one where a lot of leaders were yeah. this sort of personality type and it's really rare apparently, it's less oh, than 1%. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm mostly introverted, which is rare because I do comedy yeah. and podcasts now for a living. But I like my alone time. Yeah, I really value uh, so solitude mm. and just being alone with my thoughts and uh, mulling over various concepts. <laughs> I was surprised the first time I met you that you were more quiet than I thought you would be. Not shy or not not quiet, but just more quiet than I had anticipated. I thought you'd just be like, hey, what's up? High five. Hey, Welcome. What's up? <laughs> I don't know what you say in I your shows. In the 2000s. I'm, I'm like a 60-year-old in the 2000s trying to be cool. <laughs> hey, what's up, kids? Like, how do you start your comedy? I um, listen to Ja Rule. Do you introduce yourself when you have like a, like a show or do you just go straight out? I go straight out. Yeah, huh. I get into it. Yeah, I Good. really enjoy the flow state of being on stage and uh, just getting lost in the lights. And I, I prefer theater performances more so than uh, more intimate stand-up rooms. But mm. I'm I'm growing in my capability uh, to perform well in those more intimate rooms. It's a completely mm. different skill when you're performing to a theater where you don't have that same rapport with individual audience members versus performing to thirty people in in a pub oh for sure when you got to be interacting yeah and, uh, picking up on certain cues and understanding the the rhythm of the audience if you will and just a side note still doing that sydney show so come along neilandfriends.com it's a great night thursday nights yeah see even she knows <laughs> um how have you been what anything new in your life any 
Nothing's been new, really. I've, I'm sure you've seen I've been, like, getting really obsessed and addicted to art recently. It's nice. Got into the clay last night, so that was fun. Clay? Yeah. Okay. You know, like, hard drying. Oh, a bit clay. of pottery. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, what about you? Uh, no, nothing really new as well, just going with the flow and enjoying uh, the ability to perform again and not have to be in that horrendous lockdown. Mm. And you got this thing. Oh, yeah, I got this little punching bag that I'm really addicted to at the moment. It's such a small, tiny little, like, space to punch. It's yeah, well, that's how you get... <laughs> that's the shape that's of a head, actually. That's how you improve your accuracy. <laughs> yeah. you gotta, you got to um, aim for the small things. Wow. Makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't cheap. It was a couple hundred dollars. What? But uh, it's the top of the range. Oh. So I don't know if that's just a marketing tactic because it worked on me. <laughs> I was like, well, that one's the most expensive. It must be the best. Yeah, I know. I do that too. <laughs> but so I, bad. I, I did not research the quality at all. I looked at the reviews and people generally did say, yeah, that one is the top of the range. But if you wanted value for money, there were some cheap ones. But I thought, no. Nah, Don't care. I want I want that top. The best of the best with yeah. the tiny head. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sure. It's not about the size of the head. It's about the, the power inside? that it packs. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's about how you use it. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I've just been uh, trying to stay funny, trying to keep up with all the uh, confusing algorithms on social media that are constantly changing. Mm. And I think I mentioned this on previous podcasts. I'm now a TikTok star because I have more followers on TikTok than any other social media That's platform. That's right. I was going to ask you, do you find that you're like um, – fans or whatever it is you call them do they age with you or do they generally yeah stay at like a significant age group yeah they've uh aged with me so when i started they were mainly in the 13 to 17 year old demographic and now they're in the 18 to 25 year old demographic that's the main they they break it down in different age demographics on the analytics and uh 18 to 25 it's sort of 60 percent male 40 percent female uh and then depending on the social media platform, it's either um, predominantly Australian. So Facebook mm. is very Australian. Uh, YouTube, there's a lot more Americans, but it's still mostly Australian. There's a plurality of Australians. TikTok now, is, there's a plural, plurality of Americans. I have more American followers than I feel like TikTok has made Americans just love Australians. Like all I see is them being like, oh, my God, Australia crazy they've always they've fetish they fetishize australians don't they <laughs> they have no oh idea oh my god i love arsies <laughs> <laughs> wait is this offensive we love americans <laughs> um thank you for watching They're the most powerful nation in the history of the world so i'm pretty sure we're punching up you know i don't <laughs> let's not go that adhere far. <laughs> to that punching up thing but yeah anyway we can make fun of him <laughs> moving on from america no, let's talk more about Americans. <laughs> Did you know only 5% of them have left the country? Ever? Yeah. What? Yeah, because there's so many, the states are all so diverse culturally that they just generally, if they want to travel, they travel within the states. Wow, I did not. That is a fun fact. 5%. Whereas wow. uh, Australians, I think, per, no, New Zealand per capita uh, have the most people who have traveled overseas. Wow. I, th- I think, because I'm sure there'd be a correlation between how economically developed the country is and the mm. capacity to travel overseas. But I think because of the geographic isolation of 
namely New Zealand, but also Australia, mm. where are just more inclined to see the rest of the world. Wow. I think, I think you know, one of the listeners can verify that statistic, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. All I can think about now is all these people that I see that are in like long-term relationships with, um, long, not long-term, long-distance relationships with people in America. Like, are those people ever going to meet? Well, they hopefully are part of that 5%. Hopefully. <laughs> that seems notably low. Maybe I, maybe I misread a statistic or something, but that is that is very low. Mm-hmm. Oh, then again, who knows? But uh, what are we talking about today? Do you want to introduce the yes. topic? Today we are going to talk about the friend zone. Oh, a soft spot for many. Yeah, a nice light-hearted one. <laughs> yes, yeah. Shouldn't be anything too serious, but who knows? We could uh, delve into some dark concepts. Exactly. I mean, it's definitely something that it's kind of like a a trend to comment on it. I mean, I don't know when the word started becoming popular. Maybe when well, it's been around forever, like since we were teens and and young and things like. Well, we're still young, but I feel like it was a lot more popularized maybe five six seven years ago Mm. and it doesn't seem as relevant now at least from what i can see on online Uh, i think the term simp has replaced (laughs) being in the friend zone because the simp is basically the sort of guy that well a simp may be a boyfriend who is just allowing a girlfriend to yeah, yeah walk over him but it doesn't necessarily denote that he's in the friend zone but anyway for listeners who may not know what the friend zone is it's this idea that uh, a certain type of man or or just uh, usually it's associated with men, but it can also be women being friend zone. Um, what it denotes is someone who has romantic feelings for uh, a, another party, but that person uh, only perceives them as a friend. Mm. So they're in this perpetual state of unrequited love. Yes. And they always want more, but then they're always also the shoulder to cry on. And the, the, the stereotype is that um, the woman is always crying about the bad boys who were mean to her, <laughs> but she's crying to the friend and, and says things like, oh, I wish I could find a guy just like you. And then that guy in his mind is thinking, oh, I am just like me. <laughs> so those are the memes. Um, they're pretty funny. But and there's relevant. also uh, some people perceive the friend zone as a, a sort of nefarious way of, of um, illustrating male entitlement. Mm. Uh, it, 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 it sort of insinuates that a man who is nice to a girl is entitled to date her or to mm. uh, have sex with her. That's not how I perceive it. Uh, I do see it as a sort of more lighthearted way to mm. just describe that situation where a man like unrequited it's the modern conception of unrequited love that's yeah, that's the way i would describe it. it how what's been your experience with the friend zone and also have you ever friend zone people oh all the time oh, there you go <laughs> all the time i've also brought people out of the friend zone um, oh okay yeah that's rare. yeah two of my long-term ex-boyfriends were my uh, I was a very bad cliche where I had a boyfriend and then that boyfriend would always be like, your guy, best friend. I feel like he's got a feeling or things for you. And I'd be like, no, I'd never look at him in that way. We're just friends. And to me, we a hundred percent were like, I literally had never considered this person to be anything more than a friend. And then as soon as I was single, they confessed undying love. That's a bit exaggerated, but you know. And then um, after a little bit, we started dating. So that's happened to me twice. And 
at, so, I'm in two minds about it because at first I think it's so great to date your friends or if someone that you know really well, like with them, not putting their best foot forward in a romantic way the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know them, you know what they're like, you know what they're like in relationships. Um, like my ex-boyfriend and I were friends for like six years before we um, got together or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same point, I did have this kind of struggle for a really long time, which was both um, of these people had said, or my boyfriends had said, well, I had feelings for you our entire friendship. And what I find is often that I, throughout my relationships, I'm pretty much always in a relationship and throughout them, I'll have guy friends. And the second I become single, every single guy friend will all of a sudden confess feelings. And it kind of almost makes me question the like the validity of the friendship and the intentions and things like that it is like a really icky feeling even though I did end up in a relationship with two of them um it is something that I struggled with the whole time being like okay I've known you for years and you've had feelings for me and I didn't know that it just felt weird yeah that's interesting no I think I uh understand what you're talking about where you've perceived the relationship to be a certain way, especially for so long. Mm. And then when that, uh, when the, the truth comes out, you've almost been living a lie. Yeah, that's you feel it. feel like you've been lied to. Is exactly. That- especially when it's pretty much been the experience of every single male friend I've had has confessed feelings for me and I've never had feelings for them ever until the last like those two um two guys where I ended up in a relationship with them after some time so can I just ask quickly with those two that you ended up dating was that same feeling of oh, I've been lied to I've been I feel a bit uh, weird about this was that the initial reaction but then it moved on to yeah more, okay well, I'm open to this what what sort of what was the process there? The first one, it did feel weird. And then I got over it pretty quickly and we were together for three years. But the second one, um, it I felt weird almost our entire relationship about it, especially because I had known his ex-girlfriend really well um, because oh. we were such good friends. And I was always his mate, not so much hers, but she'd be there and around. And then he told me, when we were dating that like, oh, she was always saying like, it's Eliza, like I have a bad feeling about Liza kind of thing. And I was like, I, but I had never once looked at him in a romantic light. And I think that the ending of our relationship was almost because I wanted it to be out of the friend zone because he's such a great and amazing person. But it was, he was, it wasn't like going down the road I wanted to. It was almost like I'd prefer that we had just stayed best friends. Yeah, that's really interesting because what you'd hear, I suppose, from the red pill community is that once a woman has established you as a platonic friend, it's very hard for her then to develop romantic inclinations towards you. So how, again, how did that really come about? I'm just curious if you've seen someone as a friend for so long, Mm. how do you then suddenly think, I mean, you can always look at a friend and say they're attractive, but I'm not romantically attracted to this person. Mm. So... What changed? How did those plutonic feelings of friendship become more um, romantic? Do you know, I think a lot of it was was to do with um, 
the boyfriend I'd had prior to this was very, he had a lot of mental health issues and it was a very like up and down roller coaster relationship, mainly with me supporting him through very, very intense highs and lows and a yeah. lot of a lot of drama around that. Um, and then when we broke up, I kept saying, I just want someone that I know is, it's going to be more, um, not emotionally stable or anything, but just more secure and and something, a relationship that's more settled and flows more rather than like these crazy highs and then crazy, crazy situations happening because of mm. um, things that he was going through. And then my ex-boyfriend who I'd known for years, I was like, I know he's such a beautiful person. He's so family oriented like I am. And he was all about relationships and wanting to find someone because I was trying to help him like hook him up with friends and things like that because I would recommend him right. to everyone because I knew he was such a beautiful person but I just had never thought of it as oh, this will be a good match for me so I think when I came out of that relationship even though it was a year later that I started dating um, my friend I was just like this is a person to me that's safe and and very loving and very um I think that's something that's really important in relationships is predictability even though people always put that as a bad um a bad character trait or something i think it's actually really positive to know you can expect someone to be like this you can expect someone to be loyal and trustworthy you can expect this and you can like you know of course yeah so i think that was mainly it and my mom had said to me which i wish i hadn't taken this advice so strongly but she had said you know eliza it's better to find someone that is going to be a good father and a good partner to you rather than to find that kind of like intense chemistry love that you want. Yeah. And so I was like, well, we don't have that intensive like chemistry obsession, but he's a really beautiful person and we've got so many years of friendship, so it should work. It didn't, but. Uh. Yeah. What do you think didn't work? Do you think you need a little bit of that chemistry? Do you think you need yeah. a, a combination of both? Because uh, yeah. that seems to be a common uh to and fro for a lot of uh people not just women they'll 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 endure a more toxic relationship mm. that has those emotional highs mm. and emotional lows and then they'll think oh, i want something safe i want something predictable i want something consistent yeah. but it doesn't really fulfill them in the same way yeah. it's boring it's lackluster mm. and so then you swing back and forth from a more toxic relation or we won't even just say toxic a more a relationship with more emotional highs and lows, yeah. a sort of volatile relationship to a stable relationship. Um, and I remember Esther Perel talks about that in, in uh, uh, Mating in Captivity, mm. where to maintain spark and to maintain sexual chemistry, you almost need a little bit of aggression, a oh, little yeah. bit of tension, a little bit of something there where it's not just extremely placid and, and dull yeah. and, and sort of laborious and predictable we want a little bit of excitement. So yeah. uh, is that the main reason it, it broke down? Because it was just like you were dating a friend? Yeah, I think that I really has was trying to convince myself for too too long of a time. And I feel a lot of, I carry a lot of guilt about this because I'd wasted a very long time. Um, not that I didn't truly love him. I had mm. so much love for him, but it wasn't enough of that romantic love. It was more just I love him so much as a person. But I think that it kind of differs from um, person to person because some people don't want that kind of or don't need that crazy lust and attraction and yep. they, they prefer settled relationships and they can live 
really fulfilling relationships like that. And other people will be like, I will sacrifice anything, even toxic relationships, just to have that kind of like fire and passion. But I think it depends on who you are as a person. And, you know, at, at the depends moment- Depends on your star sign. It dep- <laughs> wasn't going to say it. No, kidding. Um, but just your own preferences and what you can not put up with, but what's going to make you feel the most like fulfilled and empowered in your relationship and if you can get someone that you're like really attracted to and have chemistry with and it doesn't have ups and downs then I think you've hit the jackpot yeah yeah everyone yeah. wants that but it's yeah. pretty rare to emotional <laughs> to and that. physical intimacy and then to maintain that over 10 20 30 yeah. I've never even tried to do that but I've, from what I've heard it's very difficult yeah uh my advice for, for men, and, and this is not an expert opinion at all, this is just coming from someone who has, I suppose, been in the friend zone and been in that position where I've, uh, you know, lusted and yearned for a woman that uh, only perceived me as a, mm-hmm. as a friend or just saw me as a... I, I see it as that sort of like puppy dog mentality yeah. where a girl might be like, oh, you're really, oh, you're cute. Like you're cute in the way a puppy dog is cute, but you're not cute in the way... Um, you know, an, an attractive, handsome man can can be cute. You know, that word mm. cute can be perceived differently. Mm. Uh, look, chances are you're probably putting her on a pedestal because yeah. no one is as great as your mind thinks they are, right? Yeah. But when you're like enamored and in love with someone, you're not uh, painting a realistic picture of that person in your mind. Mm. It's your, uh, well, it's probably your uh, inner child oh, for sure. <laughs> trying to fix itself. Yeah. But um if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you are in a friend zone, uh, what some of that more, again, I guess, red pill uh, advice would be is stop obsessing over her. Stop trying to be that perfect mm. friend and showing how good a person you are compared to all the boyfriends. Yeah. Start working on yourself and start showing her, not directly, but by um, improving yourself and, and, and maybe even dating other girls or, or just mm. putting yourself out there on the market and not sort of having tunnel vision for this one person that you've uh, unrealistically de- deified, mm. that almost has a counterintuitive effect. It, it, it does. It, it yeah. wor- she then becomes a little bit more attracted to you. It's that push-pull mm. uh, concept. But I also think that... The, friend zone and you know simp and incel all these terms they're funny and they're great for comedy but they can also be very reductive and simplistic um you could you know a guy can have sort of simp qualities with a woman at some points in a relationship but then in a different environment or uh when things change he could be a bit more uh you know not as likely to be um a pushover i suppose exactly that's it yeah so yeah, right. the friend zone. I think I I really like it as a sort of comedic concept mm. and something to joke about. But if there are men out there who are just sort of wallowing in self pity about, oh, women always friend zone me. I'm mm. always the nice guy. I'm always being friend zoned. I I'm in two minds. I have a lot of sympathy for these the, those sorts of guys. When I was younger, I I often felt like that. But I think it comes down to to them. And you know, I mm. always preach personal responsibility that's just my you know guiding philosophy throughout life but really i think if if you feel as though you're in this sort of state of victimhood almost in in the dating world and you're always being seen as a friend well you need to work on yourself so that you do have qualities that are 
a bit more exciting, a mm. bit more interesting, something that will, you know, turn a woman's head and, and, and she'll think, oh, that's, uh, you know, that, that sparks a little bit of fire inside of me. That's passionate. That's interesting. It's not just your standard um, well-dressed, well-groomed man who's always going to buy flowers and yeah. write notes and all those things are lovely. But yeah. I think uh, you need to start thinking about ways you can take on some qualities it, th- those sort of bad boy qualities without becoming a complete asshole right you want to just have a little bit of excitement a bit of mm. charisma and charm and something that will excite people and and alternate i think for women who are in the friend zone well i i actually don't know but i could assume it would be uh you could draw similar parallels uh, yeah. what would you say if there are women who feel as though they're in the the friend zone or you know not seen as a never really perceived romantically or sexually they're always just seen as a more platonic friend i think that it's really actually on that important that if if you've just met someone you have to be cautious that you're not actually putting yourself in the friend zone straight away so i have female friends that do this because they're afraid of intimacy in relationships and i also have like one of my best guy friends he's very handsome very good looking this is a platonic guy friend um and he has a well, lot it's of- just a matter of time before it can, <laughs> if, if the friends continue <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, uh, hopefully not. He's he's very good looking and he has a lot of like these passions and interests and things like that, which girls find really attractive. And the girls that are in our group really say like, he's so sweet. He's so nice. I'd love to date him. Like they're always interested. He always has kind of girls interested, but he doesn't want to date people within his friendship group. Fair enough. But what happens when he's going out and meeting girls on like Hinge and Tinder or whatever is that he's so sensitive to coming across like a creep or a sleaze or pressuring a woman because most of his friends are female. Actually, pretty much all of his good friends are female. And he hears about women's experiences a lot. And he's really like, I don't want to come across like that. So he tries to take things so slow. So sometimes he won't even kiss a girl until they've been dating for one to two months. And he doesn't want to flirt with them. And he doesn't want to touch them like hand on the knee or hold their hand because he doesn't want to pressure them. And I'm like, you're going to put yourself in the friendship time and time again. Because if you're not making a move, but this girl is going on four or five dates with you and you still haven't kissed her... She'll be like, what's wrong with me? Like, why is it into me or whatever? And she'll be like, well, whatever, I'll find another guy kind of thing. Mm. Especially if you're meeting them on off dating apps um, and you've gone on multiple dates but never ever tried it. Like two, three months without a kiss, that's wild to me. That is interesting because I have two different reactions to a story like that. It mm. evokes a lot of sympathy because he sounds like a really – he sounds really nice and, and sort beautiful. of empathetic yeah. and caring and he wants to ensure that women don't have the negative experiences yeah. that they're always talking about. But it's also endearing in that same sort of puppy dog way. Mm-hmm. It's it's you have to eventually make a move. And you have to every time you do make that move, every time you do escalate things sexually, yes, you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position where you could face rejection. But mm-hmm. I think if especially as you get older, when you start reading body language and, and, and sort of seeing the cues and maybe maintaining eye contact yeah. a little bit more, you tend to understand when it's an appropriate time to make that move. Even then, like there's probably a lot of people who are our age, even older, who've been dating for decades and still might make the wrong move. And, yeah. you know, it was only, it wasn't that long. Maybe when I was 22 or 23, I know I had this very awkward situation where I 
sort of went in for a, it was a great date and then I went in for a kiss but then she thought it was a, a hug and Aww. and then I kind of well and I went in again and it was oh, I was just you horrendous. went in again <laughs> it was so awkward yeah oh, um no. but those things happen but yeah. there's a difference between I like to think at least I hope that that girl would sort of see my actions as oh yeah that's that's um awkward and that's sort of funny to look back on but it's Mm. not creepy yeah you know I didn't I wasn't sort of pursuing anything where it was clearly uh not wanted from her end I I I hope that she sort of understood all right look he tried to kiss me it wasn't the right moment and you know we can all laugh about it exactly um so I I like to think women would be generally quite understanding in those situations if a man does make a wrong move. And yeah. I know we are sort of dealing yeah. with uh, uh, situations that, could, especially if it's not just a kiss, if we're mm. talking about escalating into uh, sort of further mm. sexual actions, you do you are in a potentially risky situation there. Mm. But I, I really do hope that most people would understand when someone is being creepy or when someone has just made, a, I guess, a mistake. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And there's never any harm in saying, can I kiss you? In fact, I think that's kind of cute and sexy. Like, I don't think, I wouldn't ever be like, oh my God, he asked me, like, piss off, get out. Like, that's, that's interesting because I remember distinctly there was uh, when Sophie Monk was the bachelorette. I know, look, people in the comments are always, oh, stop using the bachelor and the bachelorette as examples. <laughs> and I agree, these are not, uh, you know, examples of the average person. But uh, there was one of the contestants there who asked her, at the end of the day, can I kiss you? And and then when she was doing her interview, she was saying, oh, don't ask, just do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> want to make comments on Sophie Monk, but, you know, she she hasn't had much success in her romantic endeavours. I feel like... Oh, shade thrown. Yeah, but you know what? Like, I I love her. I think she's a lot of fun and great, but also sometimes you got to be like... I feel like women can shame men for the stupidest things and for someone asking for consent and checking in with you, especially on television, I think that's a beautiful thing that should be celebrated, not being like, oh, cringe. Like, to me, that's like romantic immaturity, but uh, still like it. Yeah, I don't know. But you also, I think you raised a really good point just before, well, it was a bit before, but it just popped in my head again about the putting people on a pedestal. And I think it's so important not to do that because... We all fall into the habit, especially when we start dating someone or we start like idolizing someone. But the higher you put someone on the pedestal, the harder you fall or they fall. Or as soon as they do something that upsets you, it's like everything's shattered. Relationship is over because they left a mug on the wooden table without Mm. a coaster. Like it gets exaggerated. And another point about, you know, when you were saying like um, better yourself and things like that or don't be so if you're in the friend zone like work on yourself I think it's important to realize though especially for men that often people are intentionally dropping little crumbs to you to give you little hints because they like the attention and that's something what what, can you so what do you mean by that if um let's say I have a guy who I've friend zoned yeah but I know he's interested in me 
And every so often I'm going to be a little bit flirty or be like, I think you're really handsome or touch his knee and be like, I really appreciate you because I wanted him to keep coming back and for me to be his main person Mm. that he's interested in because he's going to drive me around and he's going to do this and he's going to be there every time I want someone. He's going to hang out with me and stop me from feeling lonely that people that aren't interested in you can drop breadcrumbs in front of you so that they keep having you chase after them. Like this happened to a friend of mine really recently where a girl was um, dating him and a friend of his, so two friends, and he he was like, I really, really like this girl, Eliza. What do I do? And I'm like, well, you just got to ask her. Like, you know, she's dating you and your mate. First of all, that's a bit... So but, is this a polyamorous? Thing? No, it wasn't. Oh, uh, but wait. then, but then it kind of got a bit like, well, maybe we weren't dating, and maybe we were hanging out as friends. But she was so flirtatious and saying like, I think you're sexy. I'm so attracted to you. Um, that he was, he thought they were going on a couple of dates. But right. then, so he asked her. He was like, Hey, look, I know you're you've been on some dates with um, other mate, um, but I've had really strong feelings for you. Like I'm really interested in you. He's known her for years. Um, They had kind of reconnected. Like, I just want to know, is there a potential here? Is there something that's going to happen? Am I the only one feeling this? If so, I totally respect that. I'll step back. I completely understand. And then she replied, I can't remember what she said, but it was something like, I appreciate your messages so much. They're always so kind. And he was like, can you um, just respond to the question? Like, I'm really sorry. I just need to know an answer to this. And then she's like, I want to keep hanging out with you. You mean a lot to me. You're a really good friend. Like, let's keep like seeing each other kind of thing. So she was dodging the question the whole time and deflecting it because I think that she wanted him to keep chasing her. That was my interpretation of it, um, that she was enjoying him being so attentive and, and messaging her and, and hanging out with her and doing all these things for her. Um, so she was intentionally never rejecting him, even when he outright asked her. And that happens and, and it's not nice. Yeah. It's not nice when it generally, not I'm not saying always, but women will do that where they just like knowing that this guy who they are putting in the friend zone is into them. They like that attention. Mm-hmm. Yet they're almost using him in a way. Exactly. It's not, it's not nice at all. And if you are a man, sort of notice those signs. And then what would happen is you struggle to get out of that friendship because you've put her on a pedestal. But a lot of this comes down to self-worth again, like mm-hmm. everything, right? If you, the the sort of the, uh, the other side of people who are putting others on a pedestal is usually that they have very low self-worth mm. and that's why they're putting people on a pedestal because they feel oh, this person so i get these messages when i was doing that ask neil series and i did an episode on relationships where oh this girl i i love she's so amazing i've known her for two years she's in my biology class or whatever and i just don't know what to say to her i've always been a friend to her but she's always you know talking about how guys treat her like crap and um i'm just like a you know unattractive brown guy or whatever well there there you go right there mm. you're seeing yourself Dismissing as the unattractive yourself, yeah. brown guy you never she's never going to like someone who sees himself mm. as lesser than her right mm. you don't want to see yourself as a cocky asshole who i could get any girl and you know that it can it can be attractive in the initial phase but then Something pretty like soon mm. uh people will catch on to the narcissism there but you got to see yourself as on a if you want to date someone you've got to be have the 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 sort of mental maturity and the self-worth to understand yeah I'm sort of 
on equal footing with this. Yeah. But I think I'm on equal footing with every human being. Yeah. I think all humans yeah. are sort of equal in that sense. For so, sure. um, if you're putting yourself down, which is often the case in these sort of friend zone situations where, oh, she's so perfect and oh, she's always getting uh, treated like crap. I wouldn't treat her like that. I'd treat her like a queen, but she doesn't see me that way. It's like, no, look, all right. Yeah, some people are going to feel sorry for you, but after a while, it becomes tiring. It does. And it's sort of yeah. almost a bit narcissistic. You're just in this, again, state of victimhood, yeah. friendship victimhood, where, you know, she's probably not as great as you think you are. You're not as bad as you think you are. Just, you know, stop over dramatizing everything exactly and then and when you get in, ask her out and when and, you get in a relationship though and you continue doing that it's just gonna fall to shit like i had a boyfriend do that to me where he'd be like you're so much better than me you're so intelligent i don't know how i got you like you're so out of my league blah 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 like i'm i'm nothing compared to you and what kept going through my head was like is there like something about him that I'm not seeing that makes him a bad person to consider me to be like that much better? Like you're such yeah. a good person. I could never be even near that in comparison. I'm like, are you actually a terrible person? And I'm not seeing it. Like it doesn't help you or benefit you in any way to say those things about yourself. And it also was just exhausting because I constantly was having to like lift him up being like, no, you're amazing. You're like this, like, don't say that about yourself. But mm. it was like an every single day thing. And by mm. the end of it, I was like, oh, shut Oh, no, I, yeah, and I think a lot of men can avoid those sorts of relationships and and what will be inevitable horrendous heartbreak. Yeah, because after a while, I'm just not going to put up with that, mm. and she's going to say, "Look, I I feel like I'm mothering you, or I feel like you've got you know self esteem issues to mm. work on." I've been in that situation. It's not nice, but it was a sort of kick in the backside for me. Um, mm. And I think the 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 first thing that needs to happen there is you need to work on your self-esteem and your status because you are not as bad as your think you are as you think mm. you are and the sort of thoughts that are ruminating in your mm. uh, consciousness are not really you this is going to sound a bit hippie but uh status is a lot of it is not you know it's 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 constructed in a way because yeah uh base okay this guy has a better car than me therefore oh he's so much better than me or this this person has the amazing girlfriend oh they're so much better oh they're bigger than me they're better than me no that's all just in your mind right that's it you're just telling yourself those stories because you've been led to believe that that's it and 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 these stories they're so similar as well these guys who were saying i'm in the friend zone it's always oh this girl always gets treated badly by all these guys and she doesn't she's always you know, she doesn't realize how I actually feel. Well, then why do you like her then? If she's always, yeah. if she's, you're saying she's dumb. Mm. That's really what you're mm-hmm. saying. Your your um, urge to be the, the savior yeah, that's in it. the relationship is just coming through there. It's so blatant. And if a woman is, look, we all go through bad relationships and we make mistakes, but if it's sort of this repetitive thing, then that's something she probably needs to work yeah. on. Um, and if you're, you know, if you... Latching on to the notion that y- your self worth will be determined by you saving her—that's mm. a very unhealthy mentality, mm. and it's not going to work. It's not going to be a- attractive to her, first of all, yeah. and it's not going to help you in your future endeavors mm. of uh, dating. So, uh, I-, I also do have a lot of sympathy. I, I understand um, what it could be like when you're in that mentality, and mm. you know, it's that sort of—it is bordering on a sort of incel mentality there, where. 
you look at some men and you and you do have this skewed perception of the world right you see mm. a lot of confirmation bias you see one guy who maybe has those stereotypically alpha traits he's tall he's more masculine he might be a football player or something and then he has a really gorgeous girlfriend but then he's also uh, got a, a mistress or something like that on the side and you think ah oh, see like he's just such a jerk and yeah. he probably treats them like shit and look yeah that's one example where that's they are but mm-hmm. um this i always rally against this but this correlation between sort of masculine jockey traits and being an asshole being a narcissist i understand where that stereotype came about but it's not it, you know, every there's no causation who yeah. uh showcases traditionally masculine features and behaviors is not some uh brutish megalomaniac exactly it's 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 really uh off-putting to constantly hear that and you know i fell for that as well when i was when mm. i was younger but you know it's just not the case and stop sort of separating yourself that stop stop seeing men through this dichotomy of oh there are alphas and there are betas mm. no look anyone can sort of transcend that really simplistic paradigm and you can work on yourself you can work on whatever traits that you might be lacking in but you can also then harness your 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 gifts and your skills and look i i want to say that you're if you are listening to this and you think lowly of yourself in that same vein of the the sort of men who are always in the friend zone you're not as bad as you think you are you're so much better than that and Mm. you know i i do like i was saying in the last podcast I don't want to, you know, I'm trying to work on not just castigating and criticizing people and also saying, no, you are better than that. You're better than you think you are. Yeah. But you can sort of find that fine line between being uh, cocky and arrogant and a narcissist, but also having enough self-confidence and self-esteem and self-worth mm. to be as attractive as you possibly can. That's because it. There's, that, there's, that, there's almost like a curve there, right, where it's like, okay, low self-esteem, uh, low self-worth, not attractive, not attractive. As you get up, as you have a sort of, you know, appropriate, uh, mature level of self-esteem and self-worth. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that's the most. I, I'm. It's it's mm-hmm. attractive when I see that in a woman. Yeah. So I can only assume that's attractive. That's it for women and men. But then yeah. when you get into this sort of delusional narcissism and you think you're perfect and You've everyone a bit who too far. <laughs> criticizes you is yeah. uh stupid or mm. is sort of um hindering, you know, y- y- you then you've gone too far. So you want to get that sweet spot. Yeah, you know, you, and you... stay there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're so right. It's. I think that a lot of people might actually lack the self-awareness to kind of realize these things, especially that if I can, you know, be her savior, that's going to make me feel good. I don't think people really have the, the emotional capability to, to recognize that in themselves, but it is something that's really important that we look into for ourselves. And you're right that, you know, it's a kind of hippie saying, but energy flows where attention goes. So if you're foci- focusing on yourself or thinking constantly about how you're nothing and you're not good looking, that's where all your energy is going into. Mm. And then I hate bringing up TikTok trends, but there's a video going around at the moment that's <laughs> oh, viral yeah. about the girl that's like, people are like, how did you get so hot? And she's like, "Because I wasn't. I just started convincing myself I'm hot and it was the energy that she was putting out there maybe not she might not be the most physically attractive girl when you see her but because of her energy and the way she holds herself she's just so self-assured that it's it's sexy to people and like um I know a guy that he on tinder gets zero matches because he's not physically attractive Mm. to 
to girls on Tinder. But when he's out and we go out, he will pull a girl every single night and take her home because he's funny, he's confident, he's charming. So when you take away, if it's just his looks, they're not interested. But when they're meeting him, he'll pull a girl like this, like more than anyone I know, he can pull them so easily. So it's really just about like, yeah, your your esteem and your self-worth. Like even when I was um, in primary school, I used to have growing up like very crippling anxiety and shyness where I couldn't um, talk to strangers, even my mom's best friend or anyone. I couldn't talk to anyone aside from my mom and my dad, couldn't order anything at a cafe. Like I was just so like chronically shy. I couldn't speak at school. I was really badly bullied. So my parents moved me into a different school. And when I was moving to the school, I thought, well, actually, no one knows me here. No one knows that I'm like this shy and anxious, or not that I had the word anxious, but like nervous girl. So I went into the school and pretended I was like super cool and confident. And guess what? Like my personality actually changed within like a month. And that was who I am for the rest of my life. Like I forced myself to be kind of more charismatic and to be more extroverted. And it was one of those things I just when you convince yourself of it and you fake it till you make it like that's well yeah well, well that's done. why we say it yeah that's great that's uh good on you because uh that can happen and Gotta embody y- it. yeah some people are born with uh gifts that others aren't and mm. uh, you know genetics isn't fair we all know that some people are born beautiful and some people are born smart and with a predisposition to be more sociable and funny and be able to mm. uh, pick up more. Mm. <laughs> but these are also things you can work on. Yeah. You're not, uh, the sort of range uh, of how traditionally good looking or how intelligent you can be. Yes, there is a ge- genetic component there, but there is still a range. Yeah. And are you doing everything you possibly can mm. to work on yourself? Yeah, chances are no. Now, I, again, like I, I totally understand that when you're in that mentality, it's so hard if you're just constantly um, receiving rejection. Mm. It's debilitating. You feel powerless. You feel helpless. Uh, and it, it, look, don't worry about women for a while. Yeah. Just, just forget about it and, and work on – when people say work on yourself, it's such a cliche, but – just find something that will give you a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Anything, whatever it is. Just... Even if it's a sport, if you're playing bloody squash, I don't care. Anything, Do it. Find yeah. something. And that it's hard because we, like you and I and everyone is always like work on yourself and people are like, no, well, no. how? Like, yeah. what does that even mean? Just find something it. that you enjoy, find passions and find ways to love yourself and appreciate yourself and recognize like the positive qualities that you yourself hold. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Uh, look, listening to this podcast is a good first step, I think. <laughs> Subscribing is the second good step. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> subscribe to our cult. <laughs> yes. Uh, as I mentioned on the previous two podcasts, we do have subscriptions available. So if you want to support uh, the podcast uh, financially, it helps us out in paying for the production costs. Uh, so go to neilkalhacker.com slash podcast. Uh, if, if you're doing it tough or whatever, you know, this podcast will always be free. Uh, there are perks at different levels of subscription. So just want to throw that quick little plug in. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. And another good point actually is that in reverse to this whole situation, um, like before when we were saying when guys kind of 
simp all over these women and say you're so much better than me that the women will be like a bit turned off or be like I feel like I'm your mother but when it's reverse and there's a guy and this girl's like oh my god I would die without you the most handsome you're so much better looking than me you're so much smarter than me like I think that my experience with talking to men about girls that do this is that after a while they actually start to believe those messages and they're like shit maybe she's right like maybe I am the f- the fucking best looking guy in all of Australia and I'm like wasting my potential here kind of thing you know like or even just like maybe she's not as good as I thought she was initially <laughs> that's interesting so it has a negative effect and yeah they actually leave the girl and think yeah I can get better. yeah like she's that. like thinking I well, am funny. building that's his confidence ir- ironic, and- isn't it? I'm doing so much. No, well, you're turning him off, being like, shit, she's right. Again, you want to have a realistic depiction of that person. So you, if you are a um, happy, confident person, you're going to be with someone who you think is a good person and has great traits, but you don't want to fill them with delusion. Yeah. You don't want to just lie to them and, and, and put them on that godlike pedestal. Yeah. You just want to compliment them when, they, um, when it's uh, deserved. Yeah. And and uh, talk positively about them for sure. But oh yeah. When it's deserved, criticize criticize them. Yeah. Constructively. Yeah. Just I think it's great to speak positively, and I will always like adore my partners. But I know that anyone I date knows that I consider us equal and of the same worth, kind of thing. So don't ever make comparisons of yourself to someone, as in putting them higher than what you are. And on the other aspect of like women and men in the friend zone when we're talking about like how women drop crumbs to guys to keep their attention I think for men what they do is it's mainly about sex but they'll ignore you for four weeks and then you get this message like two months later or something being like I've just had a like night thinking about you Eliza and like remembering how funny you are and how much we laughed and like really made me realize like you know you're such a great person I want to hang out again and then what happens you hang out you sleep together and they ghost you again and then five weeks later they do it all over again they kind of drop these romance crumbs to get your interest to hook up and then they're not interested in you to you it's kind of like the friend zone but it's also being a bit of a dick but also like girls have to recognize that yeah again you gotta sort of not enable that if he's not pursuing you in those weeks like I always say my girlfriends are constantly messaging me being like oh that guy I've had a crush on he messaged me I was like when was the last time you spoke to him and she was like oh like six weeks ago and I was like yeah he's not interested in you he wants to hook up like if he hasn't pursued you then fuck that like you're worth more than that hell no so that's the classic complaint from a lot of guys they they uh hear women complaining about their one guy that's uh either ghosting them or they're not sure that whether he's interested but uh, they always say, well, there's so many other men that would show those characteristics that you're looking for, right? The persistent mm. interest and the uh, honesty and consistency with messaging, but you've uh, put them in the friend zone and you don't find yourself attracted mm. to them. And I think that does, uh, it's emblematic of a really deep-rooted psychological yes. concept where uh, we we want things that we can't get, you know, yeah. in the same way. It's as simple as you give a cat a toy and then she's not interested in it, but then as soon as you start... Mm. taking it away from us oh wait no where did yeah, that come with that exactly back? it is everything is deeply rooted in psychology it could be that it could be the relationship we have with our father it could be our previous relationships or it could be like sometimes a, a reason why we're so attracted to like toxic people is that we have a fear of intimacy and and, and romance and making ourselves vulnerable mm. so we are subconsciously picking our guys that we know the relationship is going to fail um to fulfill that kind of belief and keep that 
that like self-fulfilling prophecy occurring and that cycle. And I think it's the mm-hmm. same with men who are uh, deifying women. Mm-hmm. They, I think, should analyze their relationship with their mother. Mm. And and they may be surprised, it'll be confronting to do so, mm. but you will see a similar dynamic where maybe the mother was a bit emotionally absent, but you felt like you could be the savior. You know, if I just do everything right, you'll uh, give me the love that I so desperately crave. In, the, yeah. in a similar sort of vein, you might think you might think if I if I just sort of cater to her every whim, and I always just you know almost treat her like a like a queen, and mm. and I'm this servant basically. Mm. She'll reward me with love and sex and that's not how it works. Yeah, I've actually had, I think that the guys that I've dated that have been really, really like obsessed with me had had present mums but too too present so um i think they they actually had mothers that had parentified them as as children like as in like so he he'll be a 10 year old boy and she's like oh, me me and your dad are getting divorced he's such a dickhead and how am i going to pay the bills like putting all your stress and, and emotional baggage onto your child and then it's kind of like a covert incest situation which is essentially where there's no like sexual aspect to it but it's like you're stepping in as my partner now like you're the man of the house like you'll look after mom won't you like you'll help me with dinners and you'll help me with the cleaning and this kind of like oh I had a fight with Susie today like those are signs of covert incest and we wouldn't look at it as like deeply inappropriate because it's not a sexual thing but it is like this um, obsessive clingy mum. So guys yeah. I've dated that have been really obsessed with me often have mums that are like that where they will be like, oh, call them every day. I had the worst day today and like this. Or they'll be like, oh, I'm dating and they'll talk really openly about their sex life with a new partner and things like that. Just things that no matter what the age, there's things that you shouldn't speak about directly with your children. Has even your mum tell you a yeah, lot about it? Yeah, 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 she I does. I still have not gotten over the fact that she <laughs> no had one's that... orgies at 14. <laughs> Gets I over that. Do, not, do you know what, though? I cannot believe that. I think that, yes, she has done that, but I think that that's really the only, not that situation. I mean, it's really the only, like, her speaking openly about, like, sex and relationships is the only kind of aspect of that. But with these other parents, the difference is that they will be like, like, my family would never, ever tell us if we were in any kind of emotional or or financial strain I never knew like not once in my childhood would that be brought up or put on to me as like a stressor like oh my god my family's going through this and my parents had a fight I never knew about it so they're not expecting you to to gain something out of telling you those things whereas maybe that emotionally incestuous mother is saying that in the same way you might vent to a boyfriend in order to feel better yeah uh, you might vent to a child to feel your father never tells me I'm beautiful or your father never hugs me or touches me anymore like it's really inappropriate to do that to your child and make them like force God. them to kind of have an alliance and and be emotionally supportive to you and be like no no it's okay and they like, start resenting the father then. yeah yeah father probably hasn't done in many of those situations maybe the father has done some things that are wrong yeah. but it's I guess it would it could be hard not to if there's no one else to talk to but that's where you know you need a you need to have a good friend group yeah that's good it good support network that's it yeah spot on um so yeah it's a it is an interesting dynamic those ones I think. Yeah, uh, so to to summarize, it would be my advice, non-qualified, <laughs> non-therapist advice would be uh, 
stop thinking about ways you can get out of the friend zone. The fact that you're perceiving yourself as in the friend zone and 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 you've put this person on a pedestal, all right, that's the first. That's a mistake there. So you need to start looking inwards and 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 analyzing your self esteem, your self worth, the way you talk to yourself, the way you see yourself, and um, thinking about ways where you can. Uh, I say increase status, but not in a sort of consumerist financial mm-hmm. or uh, just uh, artificial or uh, um, shallow way. We're mm-hmm. talking about um, you know a skill that you can learn yeah. or some sort of uh, discipline that you can perfect and ways that you can um, find competency in in various other aspects of life and just. It, it just stop worrying about women for a while because uh, so many men place so much of their value and self-worth based on, all right, how attractive am I to women? Am I getting laid, mm. you know, every week? Am I uh, picking up every time I go to a party? Oh, John's picking up every time he goes to the club. Yeah, yeah don't, like, stop comparing. Your th- yeah. this is, women do this a lot better than men. They're always talking about stop comparing yourself to other women. They're always supporting themselves. Stop comparing yourself to these guys that in a certain environment would excel, whereas mm. in other environments you may excel exactly. and, and, and other traits that you may have that you can work on that in another two, three, four, five years would um, allow you to uh, obtain what it is that you're that you're looking for. And yeah. and after all, once you start um, work, or this is what happened to me anyway, once you sort of really work on your self-worth and uh, your, your just your confidence and sort of stealing your uh you know your insecurities i guess and mm. and sort of uh uh thinking about yourself in a different way you stop worrying about getting laid as much and yeah. you know it high oh, if i don't uh get a kiss by the end of the date i've failed or yeah. you stop stop seeing yourself through those parameters and you don't define your status and your self-worth through whether or not you are uh, sexually desirable, they'll, they'll, they'll always be, that will always still, there's a very visceral um, uh, feeling that I think we all have where uh, we ha- want to pass on a genetic legacy and we're never going to escape our uh, base human um, inclinations mm. in that way. But you can definitely limit it and, yeah. and, and sort of be aware of it. And then... And prioritize other things. Exactly. Yeah. And then ironically enough, what always happens is then when you stop uh, being so needy and always needing to get laid after every date or if you go to the clubs. I remember, you know, when I was 18, if I went out clubbing and I didn't hook up with a girl, I sort of is like a failure yeah it wasn't you know it's like a hunting ground for men (laughs) as as confronting as that may be but that's when men go to a club right that's what you that's how you perceive things you 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 see all these you know gorgeous girls and they're dancing and so seductive and sexual and you're like okay i've got to hook up with how am i gonna (laughs) hook up with my that's my that's my (laughs) yeah of course i didn't hook up (laughs) um so, yeah, just reframe. Think about the way you're perceiving yourself and not if you're just looking at, 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 at your situation through the lens of, oh, she's so perfect and I'm, I'm if only she could see the real me. Now you've got to look at the bigger picture there. I, yeah. I, I, I really do think that. And, That's it. Um, oh, There's something else I was going to say. I've just forgotten. I've lost my train of thought. But did you want 
to add anything. Yeah, I was just going to say that you you put a perfect word there that kind of summarizes it and it's reframe. you got to reframe your perspective on everything. Don't put time zones on. Don't put like these goals like I need to get laid by in the next three weeks. Like it's never going to benefit you. Like put put your time and energy into things that are, are empowering to you and, and, and bettering to yourself. But also if you're wanting to leave, you know, the friend zone and you genuinely – you know, you've known someone for a long time and you think you're, you're really compatible and you think, I, actually, I think she could be interested in me, but I'm worrying about was making her uncomfortable or risking the friendship. Even though this is kind of like high school, I think a really good way to go about it is is asking a mutual friend to kind of ask her like, oh, have you ever considered dating Neil kind of thing um, and see what they say? Because she's like, oh my God, yuck, no, I would never do that. Then he's not going to have to, he knows not to like... <laughs> shouldn't have used you god. as an example <laughs> strong if she was like oh my god no i'm a lesbian so that's what i meant okay. um then he doesn't have to kind of go and, and have that conversation with her and make her really uncomfortable being like oh my god our friendship's invalid no this is so weird i feel so awkward i don't want to see you again but that way he can find out and be like okay she's not interested let let's move on from that now Chances are, I know you've had different experiences here, but uh, from my, uh, you know, view of what I've perceived, I think chances are, if you've been friends for a long time, she's not romantically interested yeah. in you. So just, sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Just, just forget about it. <laughs> Move on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Bye. Plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, if you've, if you've just met someone and or you've known someone just for a little bit and you've both been single, like, if, she, if you don't know... She's probably also not interested because if you're both single and there's no like crazy loss at confessing feelings, you'd probably know if she was interested in you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And at the yeah. end of the day, look, uh, it's a much more sort of brutal view of the world, if you will, but we are value seeking creatures and uh, life is not a romance movie. Yeah. You know, life is not Aladdin where the you're just nice to the princess and, you know, you just look at her fondly and write her a poem, uh, it's not going to, you know, you're not, she's not going to just suddenly fall for you. Oh, I, I was mean, actually um, watching this video. It's not, a, it's not a study. It was just a video of these guys, like, you know, when they go up and interview people on the streets. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they asked, they were asking people, can guys and girls be friends? Every single girl said yes. Of course, every <laughs> single guy, every single one of them, No. They can't be just friends. Oh, you can be... Look, I think you can be friends. Uh, first of all, I, look, this whole thing where, look, if you're dating someone, you, you did, sure as hell would want to be friends with them, right? Like, you, yeah. you want to be able to have a, a relationship that also is a friendship and go and do things together. But can and, they be platonic friends? I mean, question. Yeah. yeah, but look, men are very, as you know, visual. And look, if, if she's a girl, chances are... If the opportunity arose, we'd we'd sleep with them. But that doesn't mean it's not a friendship, right? There's plenty of female friends I have that I yeah are very attractive, and um, you know, <laughs> like if the opportunity well, if I was single and the opportunity arose, I'd probably like sleep with so them. But I'm not pursuing that. I'm not sort of yeah. like expecting that based on me just being nice to them or something. That's really narcissistic. I think it's just yeah, it's childish as well. Um, I think it's so, always important to be able to have female friends and be able to like you like manage that and, and you know if you if you would if you were both single and you're drunk and you would sleep together cool but to be able to have female friends where you're not like feeling emotionally to every female that you connect with like not having romantic yes, inclinations you have to learn 
not to do that because either you're going to marry someone, amazing, things are going to go, and then you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a pretty girl at your office and you're going to end up in emotional affairs or feelings for other people time and time and time again throughout your life unless mm. you never speak to a woman. Like you have to be able to have friendships or relationships or conversations with women and not think of them in a romantic kind of put them on a pedestal because they're pretty way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably does come down. This is where I might, you know, I'm always rallying against the woke or whatever, but this actually could come down to a lot of socialization because for so long there has been sex segregated schools. Mm. And you know, what's really interesting. I, I, in my high school, which was co-educational, a lot of the uh, initial friend groups in year seven and eight were very mixed. Mm. And then they gravitated towards uh, the boys group and the girls groups and and uh, different races would become friends. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting that to look at that. It was a very, it was a melting pot school in that sense. There's a mm. lot of different cultures and it was because it was selected. There's a lot of Chinese, and mm. um, they were all in mixed friend groups at the start. Wow! And then, and then there was an Asian group, and there was like the sort of popular boys group, mm. and then there was the popular girls group, and then there were a few other mixed groups there. But it was really interesting how um, they sort of segregated them. So you know, you know what? The social dynamics of high school are such. Uh, a uh, significant insight into humans and their tribalistic nature and, and our very base animalistic yeah. inclinations. It's, it's, it's really interesting to sort of mm-hmm. analyze the way social groups and, and, and bonds and hierarchies Hierarchy, are formed in, yeah. in high school because they're, uh, you know, we're, we're really at our, um, when we're, we're younger and we're yeah. uh, in this little environment that is what, would have been the case for most of our evolutionary history, which is a group of, say, 50 to 150 people. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I've i spent many um, minutes, you know, psychoanalyzing many of the, the, <laughs> many the groups that um, formed in my yeah, high school. Yeah, And What were you in? I was in... Look, I was kind of the guy in high school that everyone knew but i, I had th- i'd say three like really good yeah. close friends and i'm still friends with them today oh, and i so had cute. a really it was really good in that way um i was i suppose on the like periphery of that popular boys group mm, yeah. so i i got invited to all the parties and things like that but i wasn't you know the popular yeah. uh guy um i was the sort of i was the comedian i was the everyone even back then like everyone i mm. did all these performances and wow um and the assemblies and it wasn't just my grade the whole school were like oh yeah we, we know neil he's the funny guy wow so i've been the funny guy for a very so very funny. long time um and then i'd sort of it was interesting because then i'd sometimes mingle with some of the other uh friend groups where I was clearly like in a much higher sort of status mm. position, if mm. you will. And I, f- I did feel more confident. I felt like I could be myself a little bit more. Yeah. But I sort of looked a bit longingly to the popular group, even yeah. though when I was there, I wouldn't really. Although now I'm still pretty good friends with them. And um, I don't, you know, I don't have those same anxieties that I did in high school. Yeah, I get along with them really well, actually. And uh few of them listen occasionally. So shout out <laughs> to the boys if you're listening. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, and primary school was really 
different. It was yeah. a very different, um, first of all, very different sort of sociocultural demographic in my primary schools. I'd, I'd say it was, it was more towards the sort of um, working class or lower middle class. Mm. And, and, and it was uh, a lot more multicultural, actually. Oh, wow. So my primary school had a lot of... It also had a lot of uh, Chinese, specifically from Hong Kong, actually. So right. actually not Chinese. Yeah, you don't want to mix those two up. Um, uh, a lot of Lebanese, a lot of Muslims, uh, a lot of... Uh, it was still a lot of white people. Not a lot of Indians, though. I was always... Oh. It was. I went to schools that were relatively diverse but there weren't there was one other indian girl in my grade in high school wow and the joke was always oh they got an arranged marriage <laughs> yeah and then um then uh in primary school i don't think oh yeah there was one other half indian guy i was friends with him um but yeah it was very different demographics from my primary school to my yeah class. going from you know just your local public school to a selective school which is still mm. a public school but you're going to get a different cross-section of society when there's that test you have to... Yeah, um, that's it. ...get in, use, you know, obtain a certain mark to get into. So there were, like, fights all the time at my primary school. <sighs> Never a fight at my home. Yeah. There was one fight. I, got, I was in, like, one fight in year seven and that was it. But <laughs> in primary school, there was a lot of... Yeah, it was, it was... I wouldn't say it was, like, super rough. It wasn't, like, a full-on Westie yeah. Yeah. upbringing. But, yeah, it was pretty, like working wow working to middle class I'd yeah say. yeah so interesting how that changes in my high school there was like literally it was probably 98 percent white girls <laughs> well it was all girls but yeah, just okay. white yeah right there was like one asian in our entire year and there was one black girl in the whole school of a thousand students ah uh, interesting yeah yeah it's funny how this is a very sydney phenomenon yeah even in australia like you go to perth adelaide the big cities in australia it is a truer. This is, we're going off topic, here, but it is a bit of a truer, uh, at least a veil of multiculturalism mm. because uh, there are a lot of different cultures living together in in the same suburbs. Whereas what happens in Sydney is there are select suburbs where one race mm. or one culture mm. seems to reside, and then that to me isn't multiculturalism, right? That's just sort of you do risk get, uh, getting into this sort of state of almost ghettoization yeah. where there's these like almost different uh, worlds. It's really, it's exist. wild, yeah. And yeah, the, the sort yeah. of North Shore and the Northern Beaches yeah. are still so white. Uh, pretty white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although there's now quite a few um, uh, Chinese and Indian yeah. uh, immigrants residing there. Whereas, you know, the West is... Uh, it's it is a bit more of that melting pot, mm. you know. Where I grew up in in Hurstville, it's very well, it's very Hong Kong. Yeah. And where I am now, uh, it's also very ch- Chinese. Mm. Um, so I've always grown up in really yeah, either like Hong Kong culturally or Chinese. diverse, yeah. But again, I wouldn't call that diverse. It's like one. It's a, oh, it's yeah. a sort of monolithic culture there, Congregations right? Congregations of little, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. nice in in a in that yeah. sort of you know multicultural sense, but. Um, it's not to me that's not multiculturalism yeah multiculturalism is just it's like this sort of nebulous vision first of all uh but if there's just these look i I don't know how you can i I wouldn't be in favor of you know any sort of regulations to say i mean i'd think about it though because 
you really that's a big government overreach if if they're saying all right if you're from this culture you can't live in this suburb and things yeah. like that but you do risk this sort of um well, very tribal city. Yeah. And I don't think that's healthy for the for the um just the social life of a any big city. And it's happening in a lot of big cities throughout the world and it yeah. and it is a bit scary. So I hope Sydney can um the other cities in Australia do it better. Yeah, I like, agree. Like Perth is really whenever I go to Perth, there's a lot of like I do see yeah, it's like Australia is mostly white. It's not like a bad. I don't yeah, think it's a bad. People need to get out of this idea that like that's an inherently bad thing. Mm. Um, but you do see uh, different races, but they're not in just their little enclaves. Yeah, there's all over. Yeah, I love. Look, I love Perth. Perth is. I think Perth is the best city in Australia. What? Yes, yeah, so everyone's that. so friendly. Really nice, beautiful beaches. Um, I, the only thing is it's just so far away. And That's it's boring. why I don't want to live there. The water tastes different over there. The it tastes like chlorine. I couldn't – I was like, "That's this is really? me showing my white girl on the North Shore coming through. <laughs> the water was so weird. And I was like, this is the most boring place in Australia. Everyone was old. What birth did you oh, – okay. Maybe I was um, not in the yeah. right location. I was next to Curtin University. I don't know what area that is, but yep. that's where I was. Northbridge, that's their party suburb, I think. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, shout out to any listeners from Perth. I'm sure there'd be some. Yeah, so. when I said it was boring, I meant I do love it. Everything, the councils are great. They like put a lot of effort <laughs> into like having like the, everything's really clean in Perth. Like there's no yeah, rubbish. Okay. All the grass is trimmed. The trees are always really healthy. And yeah. the comedy audience is best in Australia. Oh, best really? Best in Australia, hands down. Laugh at everything. Probably because Perth is so boring. Anytime something yeah. entertaining happens, Everyone's, they're like, holy shit. They're so grateful when you come there. They're like, oh, you came to Perth. And Adelaide's a bit like that as well. well but, yeah, they've got – see, they lack self-worth as a city. <laughs> see, you need to be more confident, Perth and Adelaide. This is a problem in all Australian cities. Whenever you say anything good about a regional town, they're like, oh, shut up. Nah, it's shit here. Yeah. It's like, look, have some... You don't have to be like Americans who are like, where are you from? I'm from this little town in Arizona. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) No, you're a bit too overconfident there, but... I feel like Sydney Sydney is like the America of Australia. Like, look at us trash talking. Like, Perth's boring. You said that. (laughs) That was me. I I was just throwing you... (laughs) Such a dickhead. (laughs) Sorry. Genuinely. Well... All right, well, we dis- agree to disagree on Perth then. Yeah, so, I didn't mean to roast other... I love it. Yeah, it's so nice. <laughs> um, and I, I, I guess to conclude this one, you know what? Chris Rock has a great joke about the, like, he doesn't specifically say the friend zone, but, you know, in very Chris Rock way, he talks about, like, every girl's got that one emergency dick, which is, like, <laughs> in case of emergency, you know how it's, like, break this glass. Yes. Yeah, so it's... Uh, I'm not doing it justice, obviously, but he's... It's true. If there's ever a comedian that has such a uh, just brilliant insight into the sort of male-female relationship dynamics, it is Chris Rock. He's most well-known for his sort of like commentary on race, but right. oh, when he talks about um, men and women and relationships, it, it is – I really think it's nothing short of genius. I've got to get I, into he, it. Like, he's so – he's very uh, – he's uh, out there and he's not for um, – People who are easily offended, I guess. He swears a lot, but it's so it's so like exuberant and vivacious. I love it. Great. I love the whole energy. He's my favorite comedian, hands down. Always has been. 
he's evolved a lot. His new Netflix special is different. So I'd, I'd recommend watching his uh, earlier content. I think there's one called Bigger and Blacker and and that his, oh, his commentary on relationship dynamics in that one is is brilliant. Never scared. Um, bring the pain. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that sounds great. Yeah. Watch it and then subscribe to us. Exactly. And go <laughs> Perth. <laughs> yes. Love you, Perth. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. See ya.